Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Freedom. Freedom from bondage. God loves you. Your heavenly father, he adores you. His spirit is jealous for you. He wants you to want him the way that he wants you. He wants you to want him only. The son of God, Jesus Christ, loves you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. My message is really simple today. We need to take a little more time and spend some time in wonder at the fact that love has come. We say God loves you a lot, don't we? How often do we stop and think about that life-changing truth? I want to take some time. Uh, there's been a lot of scripture shared, a lot of time spent considering the love of God. Curtis just led us through the sacrifice of Jesus, his shed blood, his broken body. Uh, we heard a beautiful story of adoption, but the love of God, the plan of God, the hope, the faithfulness of God. We sang songs about Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. Love has come. We're celebrating generosity and charity of our church family and in our community and celebrating the angel tree and Christmas in the village. The whole idea is love. We get to love because he first loved us. When was the last time you really stopped and just said, wow, God loves me. I'm guessing for many of us, we could spend some more time in wonder, couldn't we? Keegan, you up for help me this morning? Okay, come on up, buddy, I need your help. You weren't here last week, were you? So you didn't see our, our gingerbread house. I told him it was the red door this morning. We'll see, what, is there something in there? Okay, bring that on out. Close the door now. Don't let the cold air get in. Oh, you will. Okay. Do you know what this is, Keegan? Why don't, why don't you shake it? You do the honors. You flip it over. I think you got to turn it right upside down. Get it going. You were just on a trip, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I got to see some family for American Thanksgiving. Hey? Amer Isn't that how Canadian says American Thanksgiving? A. Yeah. <laughs> You, you were telling me this morning what you think is so wonderful about Christmas. Do you mind just sharing that? What, what do you think is wonderful about Christmas? Um, getting to see family. I like that answer. And you got to see some family last weekend, didn't you? You got to meet an uncle and a cousin, a cousin for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. 
You know, for, for half of us in the room, the chair that you're sitting on today was moved by Keegan Bergman last night after Christmas in the village. So there you go. Thank you, Keegan. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about wonder today. You know it's supposed to snow tonight? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Do you, do you remember seeing a snow globe for the first time? Giving it a shake? Do you know how many Christmas movies there are where the snow globe is like the magic element in the movie? Like um, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Doesn't Mr. Duncan give him two turtle doves and he sees that snow globe? And like so many movies where the snow globe is like the magic element. I love snow. The first snowfall. Isn't it magical? Hasn't Hallmark made a killing off that idea of the first snowfall? Just gently coming down. <laughs> um, sledding, skiing. I hope we get a ton of snow this year. I make a luge run in the backyard. We get my uncle with his big tractor to put all the snow in a big pile, and then we make a, like a luge run, and I stand out there with a garden hose because I'm crazy, and I ice it all up, and we had these two big turns. We'd go all the way to the back lot. It was awesome. Last year, there was one day of good sledding. Every other day, there was green grass in the middle of that sledding hill. So this year, I hope we get a ton of snow. Thanks, Shay. Should we put that in the leak soup category? Like, just don't talk about it? We'll just agree to disagree? Should we do that? No? Okay. I spent my middle school years in Ontario, up in a place called Hepworth. It was four hours north of Toronto, and they had lake effect snow. I'm telling you, you haven't seen snow until you've seen this kind of lake effect snow. And it wasn't like the wet and heavy Atlantic Canadian snow. It was dry, powdery, light. Like, you would get a big snowfall off Lake Huron, and then you could just walk through it, waist deep, and it would just, like, kind of disintegrate around you. It was the most magical stuff. And everybody there had a snowmobile. If they didn't have a car, it was okay, because they probably had a snowmobile. And there were snowmobile trails everywhere. There were snowmobile trails that went right across the parking lot of the church facility. So on Sunday, for the Sunday service, you'd see this line of skidoos, in front of the church building, and then you'd step in the door and there would be snow boots and snow suits, and then there would be people in the auditorium worshiping in their sock feet, up on stage with the band leading in their sock feet. I thought that was the weirdest thing, and then I thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, how many people get to drive their snowmobile to church, drive their snowmobile to youth group? Have you ever seen Larry, Larry Enticer? The guy who says, uh, you know, I'm going to send it. Have you seen that guy? No? Okay, I had a Yamaha Enticer in those middle school years, and it wasn't fast at all, it had zero power, but it would turn on a dime. It was a blast. These snowmobile trails in Ontario, I'm pretty sure they all start and end at a Tim Hortons. It was true in Hepworth. They had a groomed parking lot for snowmobiles. No word of a lie. The groomer would come in and do a loop, and that's where people would park their sleds and go in and get their double-double. And my dad has a picture. I tried really hard to find it. I couldn't find it, so you're just going to have to trust me on this. He's got a picture of the local Tim Hortons in Hepworth, Ontario. You can see the snowmobiles parked out back, and you can see the always fresh Tim Hortons sign. I can't remember if it turned or not. Did they turn? Did they used to turn? Maybe? No? But the snow was plowed up to that sign, and you could just barely read, always fresh. That's how much snow we had. Absolutely crazy. 
I love snow. Uh, winter is a contemplative season. Watching out the window, dark evenings, lots of people avoiding the snow and practicing hibernation in those winter months, right? I like that song, Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. You know the words. Uh, in the meadow, we can build a snowman. We'll pretend. There's all sorts of like wonder and excitement and contemplating and dreaming and thinking and pretending and conspiring wrapped up in winter. Wonder. Catching the snow on your tongue. <laughs> falling snow. This, this is the one that gets me. You know, you know how noisy the world is out there right now, right? You step outside and you can hear, well, in my area, in DeBert, you can hear tractors going by or you can hear four-wheelers with no exhaust going by. You can hear the highway, you know. And then you stand outside as those big, heavy, soft flakes are falling and it's building on the ground and it's just silent. Have you experienced that? I remember standing out there as a kid and just standing totally still, just trying to experience that silence, the wonder of falling snow. And you can just hear your boots squeaking as you step in that fresh fallen snow. You know what I'm talking about? We'll get to experience it tomorrow morning, right? Yeah. Uh, two Christmas Eves ago, we had a snowflake for each one of you. And then because of COVID restrictions, we did it all online and nobody got a snowflake. But the big point of the snowflake was every snowflake is unique. Each one's special. Every person is uniquely made and designed and created and intricately woven in their mother's womb in the image of God. And God's love meets you specifically, personally, relationally, individually, not just generally and generically, but God's love meets you wherever you're at like that snowflake meets the earth. Everyone unique, everyone different. You didn't get your snowflake. I'm not sure where they at. Maybe we should have handed them out today, maybe. Uh, why am I saying all this? Because the tension that you felt when I said, I love snow and I hope we get a ton of it this year, and Shay cheered and everybody else groaned, is kind of interesting. I think we should think about it because last month I was speaking to a group of children from primary to grade 12 in a gymnasium at Colchester Christian Academy. And I said, don't you guys love snow? And the whole place cheered and erupted and I couldn't get them to come back down from that excitement so I could preach. But when I said it here, it was kind of like, hmm, snow, you know? You know, you know what I'm getting at? Do you remember what that first snowfall was like as a kid? My kids have already had their sleds out. They've already tried to build a snowman. They've already had their shovels out. Yesterday, they found ice in a bucket out back, and they were smashing it and pretending it was crystals and pushing them around in wheelbarrows and trying to sell them to the fake neighbors in our yard. They love the snow. They get so excited, that first snowfall, the idea that school might be canceled tomorrow, that's like, whoa. <laughs> Why are we as adults so empty of Christmas magic, wonder, dreaming, awe, excitement, 
Is it really the most wonderful time of the year? Think back to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn there. That's where we're going to be at today. That was the reading reminder for this week. Luke chapter 2. The story starts out with lots of intrigue. I mean, there's this government program calling people back to their birth town so that they can get registered. Doesn't that sound like the starting of a Hallmark movie? Like the, the business guy from New York City has some reason that he's got to, you know, come back to his hometown where he grew up and after high school, he was gone from there. But whatever's going on, he's got to get back there. That's kind of the story. It's intriguing. And then you have this pregnant fiancé who's about to give birth. She and her fiancé are traveling, and any moment she's going to give birth, there's excitement in the story. And then they arrive in Bethlehem in this little town to be registered, and there's no room for them. So it comes time for Mary to give birth, and she's got to give birth out with the animals, wrap her baby in swaddling cloths, and lie Jesus in a manger. It's curious, isn't it? And then you get to verse 8. This is my favorite angelic announcement of the Christmas story. And In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That's about the definition of awestruck in wonder right there, isn't it? Verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's so curious. They don't even have to clarify like which baby it's going to be. There's only one that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is my favorite. This is the most exciting, most ironic, most off the wall setting. You have God's choir of heavenly hosts a multitude of angels singing and praising glory to God on the highest and on earth peace among those whom he's pleased. You have all these angels and then these common shepherds. Well, I don't know how common they were because the Bible says they were outstanding in their field. Should we just move on? We'll pretend that didn't happen. Okay, we'll just move on. Angels, shepherds, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, heaven, bright, shining, dazzling white, a dark, cold field with some shepherds gathered around a fire, maybe, watching their sheep in the dark, a savior, the Christ, wrapped in cloth and lying in a mangy manger, kind of ironic, isn't it? I wonder why such a vast expanse between characters? Like, isn't that a literary no-no? Like, you don't start out your story by saying, there was a peasant begging for coins, and a king showed up and invited him to dinner. I 
feel like we missed a lot of storyline. You know, that doesn't just happen. It's like, how do you bring those two things together? The angels, the shepherds. Shepherds were outcasts in society. Look, we can't pay you much, but it's a job. Somebody's got to do it. You got to go be out with the sheep, be by yourself, a loner for a week at a time. And then you have angels. Ironic. Doesn't it make you curious? Like how, did, how did we get there in the story? Why are angels announcing to shepherds? And isn't one angel enough? Why do we need a multitude of heavenly hosts for some shepherds in a dark field? Does that speak more to the people who receive the message or the message itself? I wonder. Luke 2, 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There's so much wonder right there, isn't it? Why them? Out of all the people, shouldn't the angels have announced to a king sitting in his palace? He goes to shepherds. The angels are sent to shepherds. If I said, oh, hey, it's snowing outside. You'd be curious, wouldn't you? I was going to play a trick. I was going to say, you know, it is snowing outside. And then, and even just talking about it, you kind of want to look, don't you? Don't you just want to peek, see if it's... It's curious, right? You want to you find out, well, is it? I don't know. Is it? Curious. I wonder. Intriguing. The shepherds are awestruck in wonder and fear and excitement and curiosity. And they say, let's go see this thing for ourselves. We just have to go and take a look. What if, I'm going to jump out on a tangent here. What if our evangelism was like this? What if we spent less time trying to give people the facts and figures and theology and the right, correct answers and the correct lingo and the terminology, and we just said, I wonder, what if we were so in awe and wonder of God's love for us that other people looked at us and said, I wonder, what's up with that guy? And we don't have to answer all the questions for them. We just have to create a little bit of curiosity and intrigue in which the Holy Spirit can work and tug on their hearts a little bit. Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes we're so scared to talk to people about the love of God because we think we need to have all the answers. But the reality is the Holy Spirit's been working in their hearts long before you showed up on the scene, through other people, through other seeds planted, through other truth, through other experiences. And we just need to continue to feed that curiosity of that seeking heart. I wonder. Let's go and see. The shepherds are awestruck. Let's go. What are we waiting for? We have to see this. And they run to go see the newborn king. Luke 2.16 And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Wonder and worship are pretty similar, aren't they? 
Like wonder is to be totally awestruck, like wow, I just need to stop and just take this in for a moment. And then worship is all about attention. Adoration is all about attention. Wonder and worship. There's, there's a lot of link there. Did you get to see Becky's sculptures in the lobby on the way in? The, the next place Luke chapter 2 goes is to Jesus going to be presented at the temple and he bumps into Simeon and Anna and they share their thoughts and there are two sculptures of Simeon and Anna out there. You need to check them and their description. And then there's one sculpture there called Wonderful of Wonderful. You need to check that one out. Is that intriguing? Is that a curious title? Yeah. I bet you're wondering about that one. You need to go see it. The most wonderful thing about Christmas is this truth. Love has come. Last week, we talked about hope for the waiting. Today, we're talking about the wonder of the fact that love has come. The world wonders if there is such a thing as real love. Every act of charity seems to have strings attached. Have you noticed that in society? I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Relationships are difficult. What we call love often has boundaries and conditions that we need to stay within. People have been hurt by what they thought was love. We practice love with impure motives. We think we're showing God's unconditional love, but actually we're acting in some sort of selfishness that ultimately points back to us. People think the church doesn't love them, just wants their money. People think their family doesn't want them, love them. They just want what they provide. Friends don't love them. They're just there as long as there's a party. The boss doesn't love them, just the work that they do. The government doesn't love them, just the taxes they pay. The store doesn't care about them as long as they buy the product. And then we tell them, God loves you. And they're left to think, yeah, but what does that mean? Does he love me in the sense that he wants something from me? So he's going to initiate this act of love in hopes of something in return? Because that's the only love I've experienced. If all we know is what this world teaches us about love, a marketing scheme, selfish desire for pleasure, what does it mean that God actually loves us? Well, wonder with me for a moment at what the shepherds shared from the angels. Can you imagine? God left the throne of heaven, became a man, stepped into our world to pay the price for our freedom. From heaven to a manger to a cross, to a tomb. Philippians 2, Jesus is God. He put on flesh. He humbled himself as a servant, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him, given him the name above every other name. Imagine becoming part of the world that you created to give your life for that creation. 
I know that's totally impossible to fathom, but just wander with me for a moment. Just think about this. This isn't my snow globe. I had to borrow it. I don't actually have a snow globe. Maybe you, do you have a cool snow globe at home? One that you set up with your Christmas decorations? Not with kids? <laughs> yeah. Just imagine. I didn't create this. I didn't build it. I didn't assemble it. I didn't even buy it. It's not even mine. I don't have any value or any worth tied up in this thing, but just think for a moment. Would I be willing to enter into this little snow globe if there was a way, if there was an opportunity to help these poor little figurines building the snowman who look cheery, but little do they know they're trapped inside a little glass orb to give them the truth about their existence. Would I be willing to do that? I know it's absolutely ridiculous, right? So it's hard to wrap your mind around. Like, how do we come up with an example that would illustrate God stepping into the creation that he created to give his life for that creation? I heard a speaker one time, he was talking about a man and an ant. And the man wanted to communicate with the ant. So he shouted at the ant, and of course the ant didn't respond. And then the story came around somehow that the man had an opportunity to become one of the ants in order to communicate to the ants whatever the mission, whatever he needed to communicate. Would I be willing to become an ant to communicate with those ants? And I know this is hard to wrap your mind around, right? And it, the example really doesn't work because I have no worth in my heart towards those ants. Whereas when God designed us and created us, we are full of value and inherent worth because he designed us in his image. And because a man compared to an ant doesn't even compare with the limitless glory of a God create, matched with his creation. The scale is just off the charts. We can't fathom it within this creation. Do you see where I'm getting at? Wonder with me. Think about this. What does this big ball of elements spinning through space look like to God? He, he spoke it into existence. You know that song? He's got the whole world in his hands. Psalm 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he came into his creation. He became one of us that he might save us. That's how much he loves us. I don't have any other crazy illustrations, but I do have a story I wanted to share with you. I read the story of Harriet Tubman this week with my son, Reese, it was part of his curriculum in school. Beautiful story, incredible lady, Harriet Tubman. Um, it was the kid's version, so it was appropriate to his eight-year-old ears. She was an American abolitionist. She was born into slavery in Maryland. She was beaten and whipped and mistreated as a child. Early in life, she suffered a traumatic head injury because one of the overseers of the slaves thought a slave was running away, so he picked up a large metal object to hurl at that slave, and Harriet got in the way. And she took that big, heavy object in the head and suffered a head injury, and there was pain and all sorts of issues for the rest of her life, one of which was hypersomnia. She would just fall asleep 
randomly at weird times in the day, just totally asleep because of this head injury. This is Harriet Tubman. In 1849, Tubman escaped to Philadelphia only to return back to Maryland to help free her family, her friends, and other slaves. She made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses collectively known as the Underground Railroad. She traveled by night in extreme secrecy for her protection and those she cared for. Do you know what her nickname was? Moses. I didn't know that. Moses in the Old Testament, slavery in Egypt, pretty similar story, right? He grew up in Egypt and he fled 40 years. And then God met him, the burning bush. I am who I am has sent you. Sent him back. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses walked back into that slavery through God's power to free those people. Harriet Tubman left slavery and then willingly went back into it to save her friends and family and fellow slaves. I, I can't come up with a perfect example of what it's like for God to step into creation in love to save the people who he created. But there's a lot of tension in that example, isn't there? Freed from slavery and then willingly, secretly by night, went back to that place to free those people. Do you realize sin cannot be in God's presence? The slavery and the suffering of this world are not God's design or intention for his creation. It's the curse brought about by mankind's action. And God willingly subjected himself to the fullness of that curse, taking sin on his shoulders to die for you and me. That's how much he loves us. He took the weight of his own judgment of sin upon himself and took it for you and for me. Jesus willingly came on a, as a man on a mission to die in our place. He subjected himself to the curse of sin. God didn't leave us stuck in slavery. Love came down. And that's the wonder of Christmas. And these shepherds, they couldn't believe it. They were filled with awe, wonder, worship. They couldn't contain it. They told everyone they met. And everyone they met wondered at what the shepherds had told them. For me, that's convicting. I know I'm the pastor, but I don't always walk around with an uncontainable delight of the love of God. There's a lot of days where it's contained pretty good. There are days where I act as if I've totally forgotten the reality that God gave his son to die on the cross for my sin. And it doesn't overflow. It doesn't well up. The wonder doesn't pour out. I love that second song the band led, While You Were Sleeping by Casting Crowns. That's a beautiful song. Did you know it? Was it new for any? It's a, a great song. 
What have you missed while you were sleeping? God became a man and stepped into your world today. I fear for so many, myself included, the truth of God's love looks so much, like, so much less like excited shepherds going and sharing the good news and so much more like an adult at Christmas. Do you know what I'm talking about? You remember being a kid at Christmas, but now so many of us are adults at Christmas. And it's a lot less about the Christmas spirit and the wonder and the joy of the season. And it's so much more about the credit card bill and the snow tires that I have to get on. And I haven't done any maintenance work to my snowblower and chances are I might need it tomorrow. And then there's family and there's all the relational tension of the season and the busyness and the schedule and going over the lines with the kids for the Christmas pageant. And it's just like all of this and you forget about the spirit of the season, don't you? Did you go to the Christmas parade last Sunday? Anybody? I was at the Christmas parade with family. Yeah, past Andy on the highway on the way there. We tooted the horn. Uh, going to a Christmas parade is a lot different as an adult than it was as a kid. When I was a kid, going to the Christmas parade, and that's nothing against the Truro Christmas parade. It was great. It was wonderful. They put a lot of work into it. I remember being at the Moncton Christmas parade as a kid. And I was on my dad's shoulders and seeing those lights and the sound and the music and the candy and a dark night and the snow falling, like it was just magical. I can even remember where we were standing on my dad's shoulders. The train bridge overpass on Main Street is right there from downtown Moncton to where the new Coliseum is, where the bay used to be. You know what I'm talking about? I remember that spot. I remember that Christmas parade going by. Actually, one year, me and my cousins got to be in a Christmas parade because our babysitter worked for Kent Building Supplies, so we got to be part of their float. We got to dress up like Power Rangers. That was cool. <laughs> Except we were one costume short, so my cousin Kenneth had to be Barney, which... He didn't do so well with, but it was awesome to be a Power Ranger, walk down the main road in Moncton. You couldn't pay me enough money to put on a green leotard suit and walk the Troll Parade now. Because parades are different as an adult than they were as kids. Last Sunday, I sat on the pavement in the middle of Elm Street, trying to keep my kids warm as we waited for the parade to come. And we had to navigate the traffic and the parking and then the overwhelming crowd and trying to figure out, okay, do we have all the kids and where's my nephew? And you're looking around, where are we gonna get a bite to eat? Forget about trying to get it in Truro. Let's just head back home. And it's like, Santa, you're too young, too energetic. That just doesn't work for me. <laughs> Christmas as an adult compared to Christmas as a child. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced this? It's different, isn't it? That sense of wonder, it kind of weans away. You know what I mean. Christmas is a lot different as an adult than it was as a kid. So where's the wonder? Does it seem, does it seem that way in our experience with God's love? Like, wow, the first time hearing that Jesus died for me, I remember the first time it clicked at my parents' bedside talking to my dad, Jesus didn't just die for the world, he died for me. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin 
that was on his shoulders as he paid the price. Not just for humanity, not just for the world, not just for anybody who would believe past, present, and future, but for me. And it clicked, and it was like, whoa, that makes sense. And I made a decision that night. But that was 27 years ago. So what's, what's my response to God's love now? Has that wonder developed and welled within me? Or am I just becoming more and more accustomed to God loves you? I was trying to think through how many times do I use that phrase, God loves you? How many times have I said that? How many times have I said that in the community? How many times have I said that from the stage of this church and other churches? How many times have I written that? How many times have I texted that to people? How many times have I said or talked about or thought of or read or heard songs or sang songs about the love of God in the last 27 years? Probably a couple times, wouldn't you say? Have, Have we grown dull of hearing? that God loves us, that God loves me, that God loves you? If this is the first time that it's clicking for you, that God loves you personally, that he didn't just send his son to die for the sins of the whole world, but he sent his son to pay the price for your sin. If that's clicking with you for the first time, would you... Would you do something about that today? Would you make a decision based on that today? You can fill out the connect card. We can have a personal conversation. You could grab me after the service. You can talk to the person who invited you here today. If you're understanding for the first time that God loves you personally, Jesus died for you personally, whatever it is you're going through, whatever you showed up with here today, God died for you. And then I would say, church family, if like me, you made that decision a while ago and you've been on this journey with Jesus for quite some time and you've been hearing and you've been saying and you've been singing and you've been reading, God loves me, yes, he does. God loves the whole world over and over again. Can I encourage you, would you take some time in this season, right now, this afternoon, this week, and just consider Winter's a contemplative season, right? There's so much reason to stay indoors and just look out the window by the fire. What if we spent more time considering the love of God? More time in wonder, more time in awe, more time inspired by the fact that God loves us. That that wouldn't just be something we say, but it's something that we feel deep within our hearts, that we experience, that we know that we worship, that we praise because he loves us. I would be amiss if I missed the opportunity not to uh, read this verse with snow as our illustration today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah the prophet, who I referenced last week, he's receiving a vision God's sending a message through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel who are rebellious, who are wandering, who are wicked, who are sinning, and there's judgment coming. There's all these terrible things in chapter one, and then you get to verse 18, and last week we talked about the hope, the glimmer of hope that God gave to Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. But here in Isaiah chapter one and verse 18, 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Reason. Doesn't that kind of communicate wondering, pondering, thinking, contemplating? Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God came, glory in a manger, Christ on a cross. Because of Jesus, our sins can be white as snow. Shouldn't we just take some time to wonder and appreciate and contemplate that truth for a moment? Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? We're just going to take a moment here as we end our service. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you that you love me. Jesus, thank you that you willingly came to die for me. Jesus, thank you that you willingly left the throne of heaven to put on flesh and become one of us. You stepped into the creation which you had created. Jesus, thank you for the manger. Thank you that the manger points to the cross, the cross to the grave. From the grave you've risen on high. From death to life. God, we thank you for your love. God, help us to catch a fresh glimpse of how much you love us. Show us in your word. Show us by the power of your spirit. Show us as we go about our day in fellowship with other believers in the community. Whatever experiences we may have, help us to see it through the lens of your incredible love for us. How vast, how pure, how measureless, how strong. It will forevermore endure. This, this is our song. God, thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.